Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, glad to have all of you here at, at Lake Point Church uh, th- this morning. I, I was actually having like a moment this, uh, this, this past Friday uh, when I was hanging out over desserts and coffee with, uh, with two people I've called friends. They're, they're old enough to be my folks, but I call them friends and from this church. And it made me think of how my boys got friends at this church and from school, and now they're kind of one and the same. And how, uh, how this, I had friends at this church when we were a family with young kids and didn't know anyone else in the community, and now we, we got families we journey with when we're kind of like in the middle stages of, of life. And just where, where else do you get that of every single generation and, and a person for every person? Uh, that's the family of God. And uh, I don't know, I was feeling a little sappy on you today, so I thought I'd tell you. Has nothing to do with my sermon. All right, here's 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 what uh, here's here's where I am at uh, with, with with the sermon today. We're we're, we're wrapping up a series that we've titled uh, "Loose Ends," and uh, I hope it's done something for your discipleship journey with Jesus. Uh, Cammy really illustrated it perfectly uh, right back at the first Sunday when we were talking about it. Whereas this pandemic kind of cruised through, it, it cut our ties to <laughs> every semblance of normal we seemingly had. And it's like all these different aspects of life are kind of floating out there and floating away in, in many instances. And it's, it's time to tie it down to Jesus. So a moment of crisis and uncertainty ought to get us to tie our things back, back to God more than ever. And quite frankly, I'm not seeing it happen. Uh, that, that's, that's no judgment on you or any, any person. It's just me looking at the context, me looking at the church as a whole, like like the worldwide church and, yeah, even this church as a whole. Like, I just didn't see the moment of crisis push us back into a deeper tie with Jesus. And that, and that concerns me. And, and so we did what, whatever you do when you see something out of line with God's plan. You, you, you go back to Jesus. And we got great stories of Jesus. And particularly, we went to Mark chapter 11 and 12. It's just this two-chapter window where, where Jesus shows up to really assert his authority in people's lives, to say, I'm the king. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's, it's, it's mine. And so then he, he takes to getting into, uh, whether directly or indirectly, he's uh, taking on the authority of people's time, people's tasks, people's prayers, people's purpose, uh, their priorities, preferences. It all goes back to there is a king and we all bow before him tying those loose ends back to him and today the the last loose end we are going to talk about tying down to jesus is our money now i know when i say that a bunch of you're like shoot i just showed up on that sunday (laughs) right like i know churches got to do that every now and then pastors got to throw that in like at least once a year right but really the the one Sunday I choose to come, even on a kind of rainy-ish day, you told me I, I, I showed up on money Sunday, and now I'm stuck here, right? And they're like, well, first of all, I'm sorry for you. No, I'm, I'm not, okay? So here, here's why, all right? First of all, I don't think it's going to come out as that kind of talk, okay? Secondly, I don't know how we avoid this. When you say, we're going to teach these two chapters of the Bible, you, you teach what's in there. And I don't get to decide what Jesus wants to talk about, and you don't either, so if we're really going to get into what God says, it, you just got to listen. But, but third and finally, doesn't it feel like money's a loose end right now? Doesn't it feel like now's the time to be talking about it? As this pandemic's gone through, uh, income sources have changed for a lot of us. Spending patterns have definitely wildly changed 
in a lot of places. Job environments have shifted. The climate of small businesses have been upturned. And on top of that, the federal government keeps pumping $2 trillion a pop into stimulating the economy. And you know what? It worked. Like last year when my family vacation got canceled, and after that the president of the United States sends me a check on top of that, you're for darn sure Brian Hoffmeister spent money on stuff that he would normally wouldn't spend money on. Don't look at me with that judgmental kind of look. Like, did anyone else not do that, right? Like, money's changing. It's a looser end than before. And just like every other little thing that we got in this everyday life and our everyday relationships, it's got to get tied back down to Jesus. And right here in this two-chapter section, Jesus talks about money, not once, but twice. So, so here we go. Two, two stories today about money from Jesus. This uh, first one here starts in verse 13. It says, uh, later, later, I don't know why I said it that way, later, <laughs> later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Caesar is the emperor. Caesar is the top of the food chain. Uh, Caesar is the federal government. Okay, uh, Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. That means their mouth was shut. They had nothing left to say uh, afterwards. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. Go, go all the way back to verse 13. Put that on the screen, please. Um, you, you got two parties here, Pharisees and Herodians. These, um, for oversimplified terms, the Pharisees are the religious leaders. The Herodians are the municipality leaders. Normally, these two do not form a team. Normally, these two do not even form a conversation. One's doing their thing over here. One's doing their thing there. But but today, they're like working together against a common issue. And that's Jesus. They cannot figure out how they are losing to this guy. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, clearing the temple like it's his, going toes to toes on argumentative issues and winning every time. And they're like, we don't know why we're losing to this guy. So we need to like... Form the two think tanks, bring any mind who cares about this, and come up with a plan where we can trap him. Okay, here's how I best relate it. Uh, I I coach uh, one of my boys in basketball, and there was one time we were losing to a team that we had no business losing to. Not only that, we were losing to a player we had no business losing to. This was summer league basketball, and this one kid shows up late to the game um, in his swim trunks. It's like mom's like, shoot, son, we we forgot the game. Get in the car right now. Didn't even bother changing the drawers. Shows up at the the game. And to to be frank about, the kid didn't look like an athlete. Like there are 20 kids out there. There's like one kid who is like the lowest level athlete. And it's dude with the swim trunks. And on this day, he can't miss. He does this one shot that's like over here. I don't think he saw the basketball hoop. He's, he's shooting a three-pointer, and it looks more like he's doing a shot put because he's just got no arm strength, and he's making all of them. And we are down bad to a team that no one should be losing to. 
You know what that halftime talk was like? Man, my assistant's like, the kid's trunks aren't even dry and he's still beating you. You can't lose to someone like this. Get out there, second half. That's what's going on in this story. This is the halftime pep talk. They got all these different groups together and saying, if you're going to lose to someone, it can't be the dude with the donkey who runs around with 12 guys in sandals. There's no war horse. There's no keys to the temple. And someone tell me how we can finally trap this guy and win the game. Coming out of the halftime pep talk, here's what they got. Verse 14 is the trap. And the trap essentially is... uh, are, are you going to be anti-patriot by saying, yeah, just go along with Roman oppression and submit to the tax? Or are you going to side with the people and say, oh, yeah, we, we got to get free from Rome, and then you end up in jail? Is there a win for Jesus in here? Not a chance. And they think they got him. Now, here, here, here's the fun part. Jesus puts the argument to rest without even arguing it. All right, he, uh, um, the, so the, the coin is a silver denarius. It's uh, worth uh, a day's wages in that time. That's the imperial tax. I don't have a denarius with me, but I do got a quarter. And uh, we got good old GW on my quarter, and it says, in, in God, we trust. Now, in those days, very similar to ours, the images of leadership were on there. And it seems to me, I'm no Roman historian, but what they would do is, it seems like every Caesar there was, every emperor, would reprint the coins with his face and his image on it. Okay? And so right now, the silver denarius that would be held up would have the words on it, uh, Tiberius Caesar uh, Augustus. Tiberius being his first name, Caesar being his grandfather's name, the first man to become emperor, and Augustus being a title that his dad chose for himself. It means illustrious. So it's all right there. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, and it also said, son of the divine Augustus. My dad was God. I am the son of God. Therefore, I am God. This is all on on the coin and on top of that, uh, as, as if that wasn't enough, the flip side of it had a picture of his mother, Olivia, uh, which, and, and the words, high priest. Isn't that cute? Put mom on the... That's a kid with mommy issues, right? Like, come on now. So he, what he's saying is, uh, I'm God, and the best way to know about who God is is to, to go talk to my mom. That's the coin. And for a true blue Jew who's following the Ten Commandments, this is a graven image. This is idolatry. This, by conscience and by faith, you can have no participation with this coin. Maybe once a year you went and scrapped together some of your copper coins. That's what the Jews ended up using, a whole different currency system, because they couldn't in good conscience carry it, except they had to once a year go figure out how to get one, pay the tax, and be done with it. You just got rid of it as dirty money as quickly as you could. You couldn't carry the idolatry around you. And so here's Jesus now. Fellas, Shoot! I left my denarius at home. I got nothing in my pocket. Hey, can, can, I, can I borrow yours? And, and, and one of them pulls it out. Oh, you got the idolatry coin in your pocket. You guys are wondering about whether I'm the complicit, anti-patriot, idolatrous image, carrying pagan leadership conformer by carrying a denarius on me and paying a tax. You're the ones who's got it in your pocket. Thank you for producing that game over. Jesus is just so smart, okay? This is witty. Like, I think sometimes 
you're worried that if I believe in Jesus, I'm just like one of those faith people. We're, we're less researched or less intelligent, and we'd have fewer built-up arguments, and it's just got to be like, well, I, I believe. i got this thing called faith. Now, if Jesus was here, he'd have words to exchange by which people would be amazed when they're done, like it said in the text. But here's what's also great about Jesus. He does not leave it there. He's not just trying to win arguments to win arguments. He pushes it back to the point. He says, guys, listen, you're, you're trying to do this thing where to be pro-God, you've got to be against the other thing. I'm, I'm telling you the two can go together. Give Caesar what's Caesar's. Give God what's God's. It's elaborated further in Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2 that there is no authority, not even a pagan authority above us that is not there on place under God's authority. And so it don't matter if you voted for your mayor, your governor, or your president. You, you owe them respect and prayer. All those people get that from us. That's not the point of today. That's just a side one. And I think a lot of us need to take that in a little bit. Story number one, Mark verse 17, though, about giving Caesar to Caesar and to God what is God's, because we're going to come back to it. Second story now. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and having the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor in the banquets. They devour the widows' houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. And that, interestingly enough, is the last public speech that Jesus makes. From here, it's all shift to private conversations with his disciples. But as far as a crowd is concerned of both the curious and the skeptics and what they get to listen in on, that's the one he wants to leave them listening to. Listen to the story of the widow. And as we get into it today, kind of of hold it with that same weight. Like if Jesus had one more public speech to both the skeptics and the curious, what would he want them to hold on to? He'd want them to hold on to this story. All right, first he sets it up uh, with saying, watch out for the teachers of the law, back in verse 38. And some of them like to walk around in these flowing robes. They were a little into dressing the part. And then it goes on to say, verse 39, they wanted the most important seats in the synagogue, like kind of like us, we got chairs here, chairs on the side. Well, they had chairs up front too. And who gets the chair up front? The person who's going to teach. Particularly, who, whoever is the teacher of rank that day uh, gets the most important seat front and center. It was practical. They were going to step forward and they were going to teach whoever gathered. But then it became kind of an image and show sort of thing. I want want that seat. And if I'm a teacher of the law, maybe if I come at seven o'clock on a Friday night during prime time, maybe I'm going to get stuck on the side. But hey, if I show up Tuesday afternoon at two, I get best seat number one. And whoever comes there that day, they get to hear me teach. And I got the seat. They're just putting on a show with it. Uh, they devour widows' houses. Somehow they were using their influence to 
uh, either get legal non-representation for widows or maybe it was even religious manipulation. They make a show of lengthy prayers. Um, at the end of the day, it was the lack of genuine authenticity. These men are just playing games with God, trying to look the part. It's just games and shows to them. And Jesus throws in, these men will be punished most severely. That's the backdrop that sets the contrast to now, let's go over and look at the story of the widow. Now, now these stories didn't happen like necessarily right back to back, but also what our scriptures do, Mark puts them back to back on purpose. Like now that that backdrop is set, let, let me by contrast show you what this widow was like. Okay, verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Okay, so it, first of all, you got a picture. Pe- people can gather and watch this. I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. And it's very obvious to them as they watch who's giving a large amount, and in this case also, who's given a very small amount. Uh, specifically, the word used in the text here is that this woman gives two lepta. Somebody say lepta. All right, how about we all do it, all right? Uh, on, on three, lepta. One, two, three. Now, is it important that you know it's the name lepta? No, it's just fun to say. So uh, now, now we're all having a good time in, in church, so I wanted you to go there. She puts in her two small lepta. They're, they're about a centimeter wide each. If the denarius was worth a day's wages, the lepta is worth one one-hundredth of a day's wages. Uh, it's like this is the equivalent of a, a six-minute paycheck that, that she's carrying. That's, that's all she's got left. Now, I, I want to get you in the setting of this, and I'm, I was really having a hard time giving you the picture, okay? I, I do what I always do like when, when I need a source of great biblical insight to get your minds going. I went to the Google machine this week, and uh, unfortunately, this is, this is all I got for a picture, right? or just different angles of it. Uh, she, she's put in... Uh, so some things in the shofar chest. Someone say shofar. All right, you're doing good. You're, you're all in a, on, a, on a roll today. And the problem is, I don't even think this is an accurate representation of a shofar. So, like, here's what a shofar actually is. Um, it's, it's like a, it's a ram's horn. And a shofar chest, what, what it would be, it would be connected, uh, the shofar, to the chest. And the security reasons are obvious. Ain't no one going to walk by and snitch from a shofar chest. You can't get your hand in and out and, and, and keep going, right? So this was security. And in this space in the temple court, there were 13 different shofar chests. And uh, people could walk up. There was one or two of them that were obligatory, not obligatory to a, to a widow. But then there were these others where the, the boxes were designated for something. If you wanted to give to this, you went to that shofar chest. If you wanted to give to that, you went to that shofar chest. And it was all voluntary. It was all above and beyond any sort of requirement. And so uh, here's what's fun. In verse 41, it says that Jesus sat down and and watched this thing, right? He's just showing up to to see. And this this is actually how it it worked, where um, it it was in a public space where where people are walking in. There's no private boxes or envelopes or anything like that. And people, I guess, without anything better to do, would kind of like watch like, okay, There's the have-to box over there, but over here we have the only-if-you-really-really-want-to box. And I was just kind of interested to watch to see who who would come by and give something to the the, I-really-really-want-to box. It was entertainment. And Jesus grabs himself a seat to watch that day. Now, it it wasn't just watching. 
you could hear what was going on, because before you would put your money in the shofar chest, uh, the, you'd have to present your gift to the priest. He would expect, in, inspect the currency. He would go back to the Old Testament law, if need be, to see, did this match what your intent is? What do you really want this money to, to go towards? And after all that conversation happened, it wasn't broadcasted, but it was close enough that any bystander there could hear, this person is giving this much money with that intent just because they want to. Again, the entertainment value goes, goes up. And if that wasn't enough, you can hear what's taking place. Like, let's just say with the widow, it's like, all right, I'm not even going to take up time on this line of ledger. This kind of gift ain't even worth it. Um, you, you could still hear it because imagine if you put coins in, put, put my shofar chest back up there, or at least the shofar. Yeah. What kind of sound do you think it made? Dropping coins down, 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 down a swirling pipe like that? And then it hits the bottom. This is how they know. Some are giving large gifts and others are small. So like just, it ain't my shofar chest, but this is going to work, right? Like you're listening, you're listening, you're watching, and all of a sudden, right? And then after that, do you hear the difference? And so there's Jesus taking this all in. People are gathering around watching like they always do. People can hear the conversation with the priest. And then people hear the coins go in and know that this woman just gave the equivalent of two centimeters of scrap metal, whatever that does at the salvage yard. That's what she gave. And now inside this setting, here comes the lesson from Jesus. The challenge, really. Verse 42 says, but a poor Widow, And not, not to pretend like I'm smart, but I actually think the NIV translates it poorly. There's a word in here called Mia. Somebody say Mia. Yeah, yeah you're, just, you're just on a roll today. Mia, it's, it's, it, it means one. Or more specifically, it often gets translated only one. There, there is actually no a uh in Greek. There's no indirect article. It's either the or it's not there. And they took this word only, like only one. In contrast to all these other religious people putting on the show and, and, and wearing the garments and, and then doing the seats back here, and in contrast to all the large gifts that I could watch and hear this day, in contrast to all that one, there's just, I want one story for you to look at, and here she is. Verse 30, 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has more, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. First, what this doesn't say. God doesn't hate people with money. He doesn't like, dislike you if you have money. The issue at hand is sincere generosity, and you can be sincerely generous and legitimately wealthy at the same time. So that's, sometimes people have been this the wrong way, and that, that's not where this goes. Also, this is not saying that every little bit counts. I've also seen this text bent in that way as well. Of the, oh, don't despise the widow's might. So like whatever you and your cheap self wants to drop in as a tiny monetary amount, that that must be awesome to Jesus. No, so, sometimes we can just be cheap, okay? And, and third, I think it's also important to point out that he's not asking us to go broke. That, that's not there. And it's, it's hard when you see a... a great positive example, a woman who is now officially broke, her net worth is zero now, 
after this moment. And Jesus also talks to the rich young ruler to say, you know, hey, if you really want to follow me, lay it all down, then, then you can follow. Now, it's, those texts are designed to say you, you ought to live like God owns everything. Um, there's so many different ways we could like push this into an application today. And I'll give you some of the traditional ones. Like this is the time usually where pastors start talking about tithing. If you're not familiar with it, it's an Old Testament thing. It's kind of interesting that a pastor would lean super, super heavily into an Old Testament stuff where we don't spend that much time there. But back then it was like you were supposed to give 10% of your income right off the top. A true teaching of it, though, is it didn't stop there. Like every third year, you did another 10%, so you're up to 20 on that year, and there's offerings on top of it. So really, the biblical tithing ain't 10%. It's more like 12 to 30%, depending on the year you're at and what you're, what you're going through, okay? So we could go there. Or we could go over to New Testament giving, because that's different, and pastors talk about that, where, man, they just responded to the need. They were just moved by the fact that, we got to start the next church, and we got to take care of the next widow, and we got to we, we gotta make, make, make sure that, uh, that the next preacher gets, gets funded. And so whatever it took to fill the need, they like took the lid off of the percentage idea, and it was just whatever it takes to move the kingdom of God. Now, to, let's just welcome a stranger. And they, they, would, they would open their lives with it too, hospitality went with their generosity. And we could go there. I guess a third way to, to be generous, uh, we could do it the American way. Like, uh, I, I looked it up. The average American gives away 2.1% of their income to charitable giving. I don't know about you, but that number sounded higher than I thought it was going to be. So, like, God bless America. I was like, that, that sounds like we're doing pretty good. What, what do you think the average Christian America gives to their local church? Do we do better? We do. We give, uh, the average Christian American gives 2.5% of their income to their local church. So, uh, washed by the blood of Jesus and my treasure is in heaven, uh, that qualitatively comes out to four-tenths of a percentage heart change right there. I don't know whether to laugh or cry, but I just thought I'd share the stat with you. But here in this, this text, there's a fourth way. It goes way beyond American giving even goes beyond Old Testament giving, and it keeps going past, dare I even say, past New Testament giving, at least, at least in the way that we teach it. The story of the widow's example, the fourth way to give is to give it all. You just give it all. And I'm not saying you got to go broke, and then again, I, I think I am also saying that. That, that, that you are to live like every single dollar you have and every single asset you own ultimately belongs fully, 100%, no questions asked, to Jesus. You live that way because it does. It belongs to him, and so a full worship is to give it back to him, and a true discipleship lays it all down along the way. You know, back, back, back to the coin, right? Verse 17. Let's get that one back up there. Give, give to Caesar what, what is Caesar's. So, just saying, pay your taxes. Never cheat on your taxes. Just saying, pay, pay your bills. Just because just we energy ain't going to shut your heat off till April now, and, and because you, you got a rent abatement, that doesn't mean you don't pay it. You, you, you pay it because that's what they're owed. You pay off your debts, whether you owe a bank or a credit card or, or, or your mother. You, you pay her back too, okay? 
You pay your school fees, your sports fees, your resort fees, your greens fees, your car payments, your cable bills, your Amazon shipments, your shoes. Just, But in the middle of that, you just got to wait at some point. Like, just stop and ask, have we given to God what is God's? Give it to Caesar what's Caesar. The, man, it, the man's image is on it. Give, give it back. But whose image is written on your life? If God put his image on you, then you go back to him. All of it. Your whole life. And in that regard, that's why this has nothing to do with money. Because we're talking about all of you. But because we're talking about all of you, it very much is talking about your money. Mark 8, 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and and follow me. When When you're carrying that burden out with Jesus... Don't you think a financial burden might go along with it? Or the next line later, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. If you're, if you're going to lose for Jesus, I think you might be on the losing end financially sometimes. Or like in the course of laying it all down, what do you think the last thing is, that possibly the hardest thing is that might get in our way, but before we really laid it all down for Jesus? Jesus calls it like it is in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And uh, so I just get, get back in the story with me for a second, okay? Right? Back out of our world, back into hers. And, and here's Jesus uh, just, just watching as this woman comes up. And it doesn't take uh, a, a big cultural commentator to figure out what this woman's going through. She's a widow. That's obvious. Her, her life partner's gone. I don't know if it's recent or, or, or it's been a long time. I don't know if he was sick for a while or if it was sudden in an ex- accident, whether they have a great relationship or kind of a eh, relationship. But that was her life partner. And he's gone. And that hurts. She's in grief, and Jesus is walking her walk, walk up. And it's not just the husband. The kids aren't in the picture. Because no, no one just, no one lets mom go, go broke on, on their watch, right? So either the kids don't care, or the kids were never there in the first place. Maybe, maybe she had a fertility issue. Maybe she had decades of praying, Jesus, I just want a kid. I love, I love him so much. If you just gave me that one, that one little, and the prayer was never answered. And that void sat in her life for a long time. And then you, you talk the money thing. I don't know if she had money at one point and now she's lost or never had it in the first place. Or maybe, maybe, maybe these religious leaders that are surrounded this whole scene, the ones that they talked about, they've, they've, they've taken money from widows. Maybe she was the one that got taken from, pushed around, manipulated. Maybe she's broke because of the people in the room that day, right right there in the courtyard, but still she's walking forward. Jesus leaned forward, like, watch this. Guys, guys, watch this one. And at this point, I'd be worried, like, 
I'd be worried. She's about to shake these two left right, right back in Jesus' face and before God. God, you weren't there for me when I lost my husband. You weren't there for me when I needed kids. You weren't there for me when my finances were being drained down to two left on. So I'm going to hold on to these two, and I'm going to make a show of the fact that this is all you left me with, God. And it hurts. She didn't. It's like you can't take anything away from someone who has already given it all. And I don't know how many years it took her to get there or how many decades of, Jesus, my husband's yours. He's in your hands. And my prayer for my kids who aren't here right now or were never here in the first place, I'm I'm leaving that with with you too and the, the, the money that I used to have the money that I never had the money that I don't even have right, the money that I have right now this, this is it so God now I'm done now you have it all and I imagine she put those two little lepta in with a smile on her face. Because it wasn't when those two coins hit the bottom of the chest that she had given her all. Her heart was there long before this. This is not a budgetary moment that you and I just got to read about. This is not an obligation. This is not a tradition. This is not a following the crowd. This is a spiritual moment of, I'm there. I'm really there. God, everything you have, Everything I have is yours. Through the years that it may have taken tears to get there, prayers that asked for different, but to embrace this moment of truly, it's all yours. Don't just give God your percentage. Some of us have been checking that box for a long time. It's time for the lid to come off. Don't just give God a generous year-end gift. Like somehow that the excess you have on a good year is what he was looking for. Don't just give God a, a first-time gift to, to say you started. Don't just set up a recurring gift just, just to be like, all right, God, now I'm, I'm, I'm regular now and I promise you. To, to, to live in worship is to live to give God your all. Verse 44, everyone gave out of their wealth what they could spare, the excess they had, what but what was left over. But one, just, just one poor widow as the example, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. You live your life like God gets everything you have to live on because it started with him in the first place. Jesus, I don't know what needs to take place in our hearts or in our finances, but I know what needs to take place in our worship, where you are everything to us, because you are. Nothing in this world compares. Gather up our stories of hurt, baggage, fear, and worry, and know you get all of us. Whatever it takes to take our hearts fully there, we welcome you for your glory. 